Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. That was tense, eh? <laughs> Who are the Ninja Warrior fans out there? Who are the aspiring Ninja Warriors? There's, there's, there's some amongst us. Um, impressive, isn't it? Uh, Andrea is an extraordinary athlete. I mean, the, what you need to do, the physical fitness that you need to, to do that competition, it's, it's an insanely physical competition in, in so many ways. Uh, there she is. Uh, this is about five years ago, for those who haven't followed. Um, first Aussie woman over the warped wall. There's, there's her title. Um, so around the world, people struggle to get over that wall. But there she is, disqualified at the last moment. It's just painful to watch, isn't it? And apparently they interviewed her afterwards and asked her, what, what happened at that moment? What went wrong? And she just said... I lost focus. I just lost focus. She'd taken her eye off the, the finishing line. Uh, she'd lost focus. And can I say to you, as we think about our new home, here's my fear, we will lose focus. We will lose focus as a church. Uh, we would forget our first task. We'd actually, you know that we, we pray this prayer for a flood of lifelong disciples uh, in Wollongong and beyond that slowly that prayer would become less and less and less and less and more and more we're focused on something else and we've lost that priority. That's my fear. Now, I'm sure you've seen this before. Uh, Some of you have been part of churches which unfortunately have had this happen. Uh, You get a building, you work towards getting a space, a lot of time and effort's gone into that. It's It's inevitably so consuming, isn't it? Uh, it's not going to happen without a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of prayer, a lot of finance, but the church has lost its focus. It's not the church it used to be, and suddenly the church drifts from its vision. Uh, their attention now on the building, people are arguing over the building. It's just a horror story that you'd just wish never happened, but does happen, um, Churches that have been torn apart by the building project. Uh, in fact, over the years, I've, I've had the privilege of watching churches uh, do these building projects, and I've been involved in one on the Central Coast. And here's what I've noticed about the churches who haven't been consumed by the building, who haven't been destroyed by it. Here's what they've had in common. They've had a bigger purpose than the building had a bigger purpose in the building. Uh, there's no doubt in the world that, that buying a property, preparing a building is massive, but is your vision bigger than that? It'll test that. Which is why I want to I drill down tonight on what is our mission, what is our vision. What is it that we want to be completely sold on, obsessed about, uh, and what, what is it really important that we're not obsessed about? Okay, so come on this journey with me because, yes, a new home can be a huge distraction, but here's a question for you. Could a new home actually help us focus our mission, focus our vision, sharpen what we're on about? 
and that's what we're going to wrestle with tonight. So we're going to, get, we're going to take a step through Luke's Gospel, so open up to Luke uh, chapter 1. Uh, this is, Luke, this is uh, a biography of Jesus' life, written by Luke the Doctor. He's uh, written down the events of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. It's an incredibly focused book. And what is Luke's purpose? Luke's purpose is to show us what God's purpose is for Jesus. And what's God's purpose for Jesus? Let me put it simply for you. He's, here is the king... Here is the Messiah. He is the one who must die, who must rise again, and the message of, of what he has done must be preached to all the nations. That's the focus of Jesus' life. So come with me as we walk through Luke's Gospel. We won't drill in every single part, but we're going to pick up some key points. First part is chapter 1 and verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. Because that focus for Jesus' life is there before... He's even born. Uh, pick it up with me, verse 26, chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You see it there? Before Jesus is born, before he's even conceived, here is, his, here is his purpose. It's there in the statements, big statements, isn't it? Verse 32. Look who he will be. He will be a great one. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. He's given the throne of David. Uh, look at it with me, verse 32. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Here is someone who have a kingdom that will never, ever end. That's huge, isn't it? So before he's even born, see the purpose of Jesus' life. He's born to rule. Here is the king who's come, uh, God's ruler. So it's there at the start of, of Jesus' life, but it's also there at the start of Jesus' ministry. So flick over to chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus' baptism. Chapter 3, 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So you, we see it, the focus of Jesus' life at, at his birth start of his life and now we see at the start of his ministry here is his ministry mapped out here, here will be his focus the purpose of his ministry and what does God call him notice notice it there God calls Jesus his king yeah look at it more closely and you want to say to me hang on a minute Michael you're not reading carefully enough it doesn't say that does it it says my son but it's actually the same thing my son is to say, my king. 
this is really clear in Psalm 2. Did you, did you hear Psalm 2? Was it read out to us? Um, you don't need to flick there now, but let me remind you of it again, those first few verses. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, what does anointed mean? Anointed means king. Anointed means Messiah. They're all the same word. Um, it's what happened last night. You were all watching King Charles's coronation last night, weren't you? You all skipped everything and you wanted, you couldn't bear, is this true? No. Uh, he was anointed. Apparently they put, they, they found oil from Jerusalem and they anointed him with oil in this tradition. Uh, we pronounce you king. And this is what God is doing for, for a much greater king, you'd be pleased to know. Uh, in verse 2, in, in Psalm 2, I have installed my king, says God. Psalm 2, on Zion, my holy mountain. And so what is God saying? He's saying, my king is ruling from Jerusalem. Psalm 2 is about rebellion. Rebel if, if you want, rebel if you dare. Uh, but you realise in Psalm 2, this king is also God's son. Uh, the king is the heir. Uh, He's the one that will inherit all things from God. God says to the king in Psalm 2, You are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I'll make the the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. See, all the nations are yours to do as you please. Can you see what's happening when you think about Psalm 2 in the background? Can you see what's happening at Jesus' baptism? As Jesus wades into the waters of the Jordan River, as he hears his father's voice saying, you are my son, God is saying, you are my king. Here is your purpose. You will rule. You will inherit the nations. You will judge the nations. See, we're meant to say Jesus is the king to be feared. Psalm 2 warns us. Did you remember the end of Psalm 2? You be wise. You be warned, you serve this king, Uh, kiss the son, take refuge in him, bow the knee to him, because he is your judge. And so what do we see? At Jesus' baptism, here is God saying, my plan is focused on my son, he is the king. But there's actually more here too in in Luke 3.22. God says to him, you are my son, there's a second part to it, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Or literally, in who I take great delight. Now, there's another purpose from the Old Testament imported. Uh, who is it in the Old Testament whom God takes great delight in? Well, the prophet uh, Isaiah, 700 years earlier, uh, recorded for us these words, Isaiah 42. God says, Here is my servant. Whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. In fact, the prophet Isaiah spends 12 chapters through a series of songs called the Songs of the Suffering Servant to describe the one he takes delight in, his suffering servant. And you'd be familiar with the last of these songs 
uh, if, you, if you're a Bible reader, if, you're, if you've been a Christian for a while, Isaiah 53 says, this servant is the servant that will be despised. Uh, this is the servant who will be punished by God. He'll be pierced for the transgressions of his people. Uh, he'll be crushed for our sins. He will suffer. But he also will see the light of life. He'll be resurrected. He'll rise as the victorious king and he'll collect all the spoils of the victorious king. That's the suffering servant. And so, what is Jesus hearing at the river? He's hearing, you are my son, my eternal king, you inherit the nations, but before that, you are my suffering servant. You will be crushed, you will be killed for your people. Can you see, there's the path for Jesus. To be the son, yes, to be the king, but to be the suffering servant the one who will lay down his life for his people. So there's, there's the focus, there's the direction. Nothing now will dissuade Jesus. Watch this as we go through Luke's Gospel. Nothing will dissuade him from the course. It makes sense of the temptation. Uh, chapter 4, flick over to chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And it says, verse 1, chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At, at the end of them, he was hungry. I reckon that's one of the biggest understatements of the whole Bible. <laughs> of course Jesus was hungry. In fact, 40 days, this is into starvation territory, isn't it? This is an extreme situation. Verse 3, the devil says to him at that moment, when he's incredibly weak, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread you see what the devil's doing if you are the son who is the king shouldn't you live in comfort shouldn't you use your power for your own good how about you ease your pain turn this stone into bread how about you walk away even at this moment from suffering how about you be the son the victorious king but not the suffering servant and Jesus resists that. Jesus resists Satan. But he has another go at him, doesn't he? Verse 6, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, Satan says. It has been given to me, all the kingdoms of the world, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. That's incredibly tempting, isn't it? Because Psalm 2 says, yes, Jesus is the king. All the kingdoms of the world belong to him. And so what is... What is Satan tempting Jesus with? He's saying, I can give it to you now without the suffering, without going to the cross. And Jesus says, no, I must be the suffering servant. And the last temptation there, I think, is all about trust, isn't it? Will Jesus trust his father on this path? The last one, if you are the son of God, Satan says, throw yourself down from here. See, what is Satan saying? He's saying, wouldn't God stop you? God would not let you suffer. He's tempting Jesus. Do you trust your heavenly father to be the servant? And Jesus keeps resisting. Jesus is determined. Jesus is determined to be the suffering servant before he is the son, the king. 
And so Jesus continues on this hard road. And notice with me, uh, flick to the, second, the last part of this chapter, verse 42. Not even acts of compassion dissuade Jesus. I mean, here is Jesus, the most compassionate person you could, who's ever lived, ever walked the face of the earth. There's no one more compassionate. And there's no one who does more healing, casts out more demons. Uh, there's extraordinary need all around Jesus. And he's compassionate beyond measure. But look at verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. See, what is he saying? Amongst all the need of the world, I get that, I'm compassionate to that, but I must give priority to proclaiming that I am the king, that I'm ushering in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom will come as I walk the path of the suffering servant, as I walk the path to my death. That is what I'm proclaiming, that is what I'm here for. And it gets to the point, flick over to chapter 9, where Jesus gets to a turning point. It's a turning point in Luke's account. Verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus, with dogged determination, sets his face towards the cross. Nothing will stop him. Uh, Resolutely, unwaveringly, he takes the path towards the cross. He won't be distracted. As he thinks about his upcoming death, even death will not dissuade him. It's remarkable determination, isn't it? And it's already been there. Look back in verse 22 of chapter 9. Uh, Jesus has been saying it all along. The Son of Man, verse 22, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, I must be killed... I must fulfill this mission. I must suffer as the suffering servant and I will rise from the dead. All of this must happen. All of this will happen. Jesus is absolutely determined to be that servant, that suffering servant before he is the son. And even at the cross, uh, chapter 23, uh, he gets to the cross and who is... What are the words that are coming his way? They are mocking words, aren't they? What do people cry out in chapter 23? He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. He, that's what Jesus hears on the cross. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? If you are the king, not realising he is the king. It's ironic because, well, if he saved himself, he can't save the nations. He can't save his people. It's actually by his death he'll bring forgiveness of sins and new life. It's him being the suffering servant before he becomes the victorious king that means we get eternal life. But it's just absolute determination from Jesus, isn't it? It's dogged tenacity, it's grit, uh, think focused, think... Nothing will tempt him. No one will taunt him away from it. He will not be distracted from it. He never loses his focus, does he? 
Uh, He stays on course right to the very end. And after his resurrection, turn to Luke 24, verse 45. Jesus shows us the plan that was always there, but the disciples couldn't see it and we wouldn't see it without God's help. Verse 45, chapter 24. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Do you see the, do you see the program? Jesus will suffer. That's been done. Uh, Jesus will rise from the dead. That has been done. What is left to be done? Well, Jesus says, now the message of Jesus, his death and resurrection, will be preached to the nations. That is coming for the disciples. That is still going for us. You see, the mission that God's had for Jesus before his conception, led to his birth, led to his ministry, took him all the way to the cross, hasn't ended yet. Uh, God's purpose for his son continues. And so as you think about that, here's a question. What what do you think God wants for his world? Well, let's put it sharper than that. What do you think God wants for Wollongong? The answer's in verse 47, isn't it? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins to be preached in his name. That's the part of the program that we're up to. Now that the son has become the suffering servant... Now he's risen, he's the victorious king. Now comes the preaching. Now comes that message to go out to the world. There's no, this is the very reason why Jesus is delaying his return. There's nothing more to be done. Now that message goes out. And I wonder even as you hear that message tonight, uh, have you taken that message to heart yourself? Uh, have you repented? Have you turned to Jesus as Lord? Have you received the forgiveness of sins that only comes because Jesus died? Uh, Here we are talking about the big plans and purposes of God and how we fit into them, but here's the message that goes out to all the nations, all of Wollongong, even to you tonight. And so if you're sitting there thinking, actually, I need to do business with God. I need to get on track with this. I need to turn... Make sure you, you, you settle that, even tonight. Because here is the plan. This message will go out. There's nothing more to happen. In fact, through this message, what's God doing? He's drawing people to himself. He's gathering his church. And it's a very neat phrase for the good news of Jesus, isn't it? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, it fits with Psalm 2 so beautifully, doesn't it? Our repentance means turn Uh, turn to the king who is the real king, Jesus. Uh, That's what Psalm 2 was all about. All the nations turn to him, uh, kiss the son. But it's also really beautiful in that for the forgiveness of sins, we have our sins forgiven because Jesus was the suffering servant. You can see how, how crucial this is. God relentlessly on about his mission in Jesus... And Jesus still on mission to this day as his message goes out. So I want to say something else. I want to say that 
The message message that's still going out, the mission that's still continuing, is our mission. It's Jesus' mission and it's our mission, which I think tells you everything you need to know about what SALT is about, if you haven't worked that out yet. Um, If you're coming to the beginning course, this let me give you a heads up, this is what you're going to hear. You're going to hear welcome. And remember this, you might remember this when you came to beginning, if you've already been, uh, one of the first things we, we say at beginning is, welcome, but salt is not about you. Salt is not for you. And if, you're on about, if you want, you desperately desire a church that is about you and for you, we are not that church. Because salt is for Jesus. And who is Jesus for? Jesus is for the nations. Jesus is for the people of Wollongong. And so we never, if we're going to be a Jesus church, we never want to be distracted from that task, of that mission. And if you haven't worked it out already, it's why we make so much noise about mission. Uh, It's why we want to make our gatherings as, as accessible as possible to those who are new, those who don't yet know Jesus. It's why we started the Life Series, so that people could actually come and hear who is Jesus, have their questions answered, uh, make an informed decision about Jesus. Uh, It's why we put on Connect events, so that there's a step for people who would never come anywhere near Christians or even 275 here. Uh, It's why we're we're doing Salt Fest every October. It's actually why we do everything, isn't it? Uh, We want Jesus passion, his mission, his purpose, to be our mission, our purpose, our, our passion. Uh, it's, it's, it's why our vision is a prayer. Uh, what are we praying? We're praying that God might give salt a flood of lifelong disciples in Wollongong and beyond. Which is it's just so significant because when you pray something, what does it do? Well, first up, it tells you this is not about you. <laughs> You're asking the God of the universe, your Heavenly Father, to do something that you could never do. The growth of the kingdom will come from asking Him, from Him working by His Spirit. So it's really, really helpful that our vision is a prayer. But it's also really helpful as, have you noticed when you keep praying that prayer, that it actually changes your heart? I hope hope it does. You keep praying this prayer that God might bring a flood of lifelong disciples. That should change our heart, our priority, our love, as it keeps working upon us. And that's what really matters, that Jesus' focus becomes our focus. See, as your pastor, I care a thousand times more that your heart is in that prayer than I could ever care about you giving to our new home. In fact, if your heart's not in that prayer, I don't think you'll be that excited to give to the new home uh, because that's what our new home is for. Get on board with that prayer. May, may your heart be changed by that prayer. And this, and this is really important to get right. God's purpose is not for us to get a new home. God's purpose is that Jesus might build his church. That's the building that matters. It's about people. It's the kingdom 
it's his mission that's continuing that is where his heartbeat is at. And so, what's God's purpose? God's purpose is proclaiming that message, telling people about Jesus, helping people to repent, calling them to repent as they respond to Jesus, helping them to see that in Jesus there is an offer of forgiveness of sins. That's God's purpose. And so, there's where we want to be focused. There's where we never want to be distracted. And we don't want to ever make the, the mistake, as much as we love Andrea, that the athlete in the video, of faltering, of losing our focus at the last moment. Well, you might think to yourself, how could a new home, how could a new place, a new building, how could that possibly distract us? Well, there's, there's a hundred ways it could distract us, but let me give you two. I reckon here's one way that a new home could distract us. If by God's grace we get a new home, here's what could happen. It could be that we we get it and we think, ah, we've arrived. Aren't we fantastic? Isn't this awesome? That we actually say, we're done. Mission complete. We've arrived. And there's something alluring about a space, isn't there? A building and particularly one that you own, to think that you've arrived on that. It's kind of so tangible, it's so much work and effort and prayer and finance and energy's gone into it. It's, that's why churches go off the rails, isn't it? Because now you become focused on, on that space, renovating that space, uh, loving that space, but actually forgetting what that space is for. Actually forgetting about the people outside of that space. Uh, who and what the actual space is for. Uh, last week I mentioned uh, how dumb it is to put plaques around our church, our new home, to give glory to people because of they've given to a particular part of the building. And I, just, I remembered there's, there's, uh, across our network of churches, there's probably many churches like this, but one of our churches, uh, EV on the Central Coast, have got a plaque. And can you imagine... Um, that's so disappointing, isn't it? Um, but what would be the one plaque that you'd want to have on your new home? Can you guess what it is? Um, I'll try and find this photo. I've got a photo of it and I haven't got it to show you tonight. But it says something like this. Here is this building given for the glory of God so that all the people of our region might come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Something like that. In other words, here they are, they've built this, this, this great facility, it's got 1,100 seats, and they're saying to church and they're saying to the community, this is for you, this is so more disciples might be made. Um, so when they did the grand opening, they didn't say, great, hooray, we've arrived, they said, look how much space there is for more people to know Jesus. Uh, Let's not forget what our mission is, what our purpose is. Let's not forget that this space is for that mission for the people of the Central Coast. But let me tell you about another church in the western suburbs of Sydney. About 10 years ago, I visited this church. It'd be awesome to go back and see how they've gone. They built a church on, on a block of land in western Sydney and they built the the, the, the building closer to the front of the block with lots of space at the back 
And you go into the building and you realise that the back wall of church is a temporary wall. Now, can you guess what that's about? They're thinking, by God's grace, more people will join us. We want more people in our suburb and the suburbs and the region around us to know Jesus. And so we're expecting we're going to need more space. We haven't arrived. We're going to keep expanding because that's God's heart. That's Jesus' mission. And so we're actually building it so that we can do that. And I reckon that's the church, that if they've already expanded, that's the church that will also sell that place and go into more, more sacrificial giving because they want to see more people come to know Jesus. And so really, really important, isn't it, that we never let the walls blind us that we haven't arrived. We're so far from it. There's so many more people that need to hear of Jesus. So there's the first problem. We might, we might think we've arrived. But secondly, we might start to fight over a new home. Now you might think that would never happen. Um, but if you've been part of a church before, or just think of what we're like as human beings. We grab ownership of a part of the building. The building, in fact, becomes everyone's little empire. And you start to think, I need to protect my part of the building the part of the building that I think I contributed to or I gave to or where my ministry is operating and people will start to say, you can't use that room for that. You can't use my kids' space for that. You can't do that in the auditorium. Uh, you can't, we can't change the chairs and we've lost focus, haven't we, of what it's all about. And so I want to say as lead pastor, for as long as I'm lead pastor of SALT, I want us never to be distracted from our purpose to be on mission for Jesus uh, if we get a new home. That we would never lose that first love, that first desire, that we'd stay focused on the sun, preach to the nations. But, you know, I am convinced that uh, it will sharpen and will focus our, our mission. So let me finish with a positive. Let me give you three ways I think it will be really helpful for us. The first is it'll help us commit to the mission. Secondly, it'll help us do the mission. And then thirdly, it'll help us safeguard the mission. So how would it help us commit to the vision, to the mission of seeing more lifelong disciples? I reckon it's simply this. As you think about this big venture of getting a new home, as you think about sacrificial giving towards that uh, time and energy and money, You've got to ask the question, is this worth it? Am I really on board with this vision? Uh, that's what, what's been going through um, Natalie and I, our, our mind, as we've been thinking about sac- sacrificially giving uh, towards uh, the new home. Uh, in fact, the staff this week, we've already pledged, uh, and we're going we're gonna to talk into that next week. But as we've thought about it and thought, we're getting serious about this, we want to we give to this, What's the question that comes to our mind? How serious are we about this vision? We love the people of Wollongong. How much do we love the people of Wollongong? We'd love to see more people become disciples of Jesus. How much do we want to see that happen? Actually impacts how much I'm going to give. And so it has a massive impact on us, doesn't it? As we think about the why... Am I committed? This would be really, really helpful to get us committed to the vision, to the mission of Jesus. Secondly, it, it does help us do the mission. Uh, what, is, what does a new space do that we own? It says we're serious about it. 
we're committed to our city of Wollongong. Uh, we want to be just as visible. We want to be the church that people know we exist. Uh, the church space where people come in and are welcomed and this is a, it's a great space for new people. Uh, we want to be doing what we're doing now, the making of disciples to an even greater extent, a larger extent with a bigger place and doing it better uh, than we've done it before. A new home will help us actually do the mission. Now, can I say I've been really impressed with you guys here at 5pm as I've gone around the groups and heard, heard back. Um, if you come to 10am, it, it is beyond... Um, you'd have to be really thick not to realise we're outgrowing this space uh, at 275. We've got more space here at 5pm. But what's been really impressive about you guys is thinking, we're not just talking about 5pm, we're talking about all of SALT and we're talking about the future. There are so many other things at play here and so it's been great to hear uh, this is about Jesus' mission, it's not about me, it's not even about 5pm alone, it's, it's about all of SALT as we move forward. But thirdly, it'll help us safeguard the mission. See, there's lots of distractions in having a new home, but here's one massive distraction, and that is opposition to Jesus' mission. Uh, about uh, five, six years ago, there was a story that came out in, uh, in the press that was, that was talking about street preachers in England. Um, I think it was in the city of London, uh, who were preaching on the street. They were, um, you know, trying to uh, uh, encourage a crowd to think about Jesus. And they ended up in court ready to be prosecuted for doing street preaching, which really shocked people. And their defence lawyer said in court, you do need to realise that pretty much when you analyse what they're saying is that they're quoting the King James Version of the Bible. And the prosecutor said these words. The prosecutor said, quoting from the King James Version of the Bible should be considered abusive and a criminal matter enough to get you arrested. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Um, A lot of you guys are quite a bit younger than me and you might think, well, I I get that the temperature against Christianity is rising and I kind of, that's what I've been used to. But the older you are, the weirder you think that is, that you can't even quote the Bible in public. Now it is England, maybe they're further ahead of us and putting the pressure on Christians. But you know that there's three churches in our network of churches, in FIEC, that have almost lost their place where they can gather because someone has lodged a complaint about their preaching, about what what they're saying. And so I don't think we're too far away from and who knows, we don't want to be you know, on the back foot, we don't want to be, have this kind of persecution complex, but I don't think we're too far away from actually public spaces are not available for Christians. Who knows where it'll go? But you can start to see that, okay, yeah, there's risks involved in, in getting a new home, but gee, there's risks involved in not having your own place. Uh, we need to safeguard the mission. So what have we seen tonight? Jesus' mission, massive, ongoing. It's come through him, the son, the king. It's come through him being the suffering servant. How are we going to respond? Uh, In a few weeks' time, we are going to talk about giving and we are going to pledge giving if you want to give to the new home. And I want to encourage you to think about that 
uh, sacrificial giving towards it. But tonight, I want us to pray, uh, and I wonder whether you can pray this prayer with me, that just talks about the passion and the vision that we, we are to have, the same as Jesus. So it just says, Dear God, your plan was the son who suffered. Your message to the nations is repentance and forgiveness. May we be as passionately devoted and committed to it as you are. Please give us a building to commit us to the mission, to do the mission and safeguard the mission. So I'm going to pray that now if you want to join me. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, your plan was the Son who suffered. Your message to the nations is repentance and forgiveness. Lord, we ask that we would be as passionately devoted and committed to this message and this mission as you are. Lord, please give us a building to commit to the mission, to continue to do the mission and to safeguard the mission. Amen.